Welcome back to the Esoteric News Briefs, your source for the paranormal, the mysterious, and the weird. Tonight we have alien microbes, ancient eldritch idols, getting high on Paleolithic cave art, and the mysterious Havana Syndrome. Get ready, it's about to get weird. A quick note though, I'm trying a slightly different format. Rather than relaying all the article sources and their authors, I'm just going to do a single broadcast of recent news stories with specific segments, and then at the end provide all the links to the articles in the show notes, much like I was already doing. Let me know if you like this new format, or if you prefer the older one. Without further ado, let's get started. The Intergalactic News Space is dirty. Sure, it's a whole lot of vacuum, but within that vacuum is a whole lot of gunk. Even within sealed environments, such as the International Space Station, you sometimes get unique forms of gunk. In this instance, four new types of microbes that are otherwise not found on Earth. While this sounds like the introduction to a bad sci-fi B-movie, this finding is actually good for the future of mankind in space. The four microbes are a type of bacterium that is found in soil. They are known as nitrogen fixers, making them instrumental in plant growth. Why are these four strains important? Because they survived in a hostile, low-gravity environment. Nitrogen fixers that can withstand these conditions are key components of space-based farming and possible terraforming, the transformation of an alien environment into one hospitable for humans. These microbes may have been found in orbit around the Earth, but their descendants may play a key role in the future colonization of other planets. But are other planets already visiting us? Recent footage acquired by UFO researchers Jeremy Corbell and George Knapp has been confirmed by the Office of Naval Intelligence to be authentic U.S. Navy recordings. The video shows a triangular, or pyramid-shaped according to Corbell, flying object hovering roughly 700 feet above the USS Russell, where it was stationed off the coast of San Diego in July of 2019. Filmed through what appears to be a night vision scope, the video shows a rather large, clearly triangular object hovering in the sky. While it doesn't seem to be emitting any light itself, it does appear to be reflecting light, possibly from the ship below or simply from the infrared light emitters of the night vision camera. The whole clip is only 19 seconds long, but it has been verified as authentic by Susan Goff, spokesperson for the Department of Defense. Quote, as we have said before, to maintain operations security and to avoid disclosing information that may be useful to potential adversaries, the DOD does not discuss publicly the details of either the observations or the examinations of reported incursions into our training ranges or designated airspace, including those incursions initially designated as unidentified aerial phenomena. End quote. So basically, Yes, the video is real, but there is no information about what the Department of Defense's investigation into the incident actually revealed. 
Now we can speculate all we like on what extraterrestrial life may look like, but one man, Ron Gabriel Joseph, seems to think that Martian life may be fungal. By now you may have seen an article or two saying that the Perseverance rover captured photographic evidence of mushrooms on Mars. This is one of those times where the headline is too good to be true. But how can we be sure? In this instance, the man making these claims has had issues with unscientific assertions in the past. Ron Gabriel Joseph is a lapsed neurosurgeon who made contributions to the study of neuroplasticity in the 1970s. Since then, he has been the overseer of several pseudoscientific publications and has been known to make, quote, scientific assertions of his own. Despite this, he has not had any peer-reviewed publications about these assertions. At least, not until 2019. In that article, Joseph claimed that the spherical objects seen in images sent back by the Opportunity rover in 2004 were fungal growths that he referenced as blueberries. They were rocks. In fact, they were hematite spheres, not uncommon to ones that you find forming on Earth. Hematite, for those of you unfamiliar with it, is an iron-based mineral. Mars gets the moniker, the Red Planet, because of its rusty appearance, which comes from an abundance of iron on the surface. Therefore, it should come as no surprise that Mars has iron-based rock formations. That is, unless you are looking for fungi to otherwise support your previous theories. This is where we start to see Joseph's habit of conducting bad science. Don't get me wrong. I know that there are major issues with the process of peer review, but at the same time, it exists for instances such as this. If someone submits a paper without any scientific backing other than, it looks like a mushroom, so I'm saying it's a mushroom, the paper gets rejected. In the previous instance with the blueberries, the submission never made it to publication, although Joseph self-published his assertions himself. In the most recent case involving Martian mushrooms, Joseph is back to his old antics. Paul Myers, a developmental biologist at the University of Minnesota Morris, says, quote, Claiming that mushrooms are sprouting all over Mars is an extraordinary claim that requires better evidence than an analysis of photographic morphology by a known crank who has claimed, on the basis of the same kind of analysis, that he has seen a field of skulls on Mars, end quote. Apparently, the paper has been submitted, also references Joseph's previous works, works that were also rejected on the basis of lack of evidence. So, he's citing bad science with more bad science. Look, I would love to find evidence of life on Mars, but frankly, this isn't it. Moving on to the next segment... Ancient Oddities What's the oldest landmark from antiquity that you can think of? The Great Pyramids of Giza? Stonehenge? Yeah, they're pretty old. The Great Pyramids are about 4,500 years old, at our best estimations, and Stonehenge 
is roughly 5,000 years old. Then we have the Shagir Idol. If you haven't heard of it, it's not surprising. It was first discovered in 1890 in the Shagir peat bog in the Ural Mountains of Russia. The unique environment of peat bogs helps preserve organic material like no others. It's not uncommon to find bog mummies fully preserved with hair and clothing intact. The Shagir idol is one of the few instances where a piece of artwork has been preserved. The idol is carved from larch wood and stands slightly over 9 feet high based on the remaining fragments. Original reconstructions estimated that it may have stood over 17 feet high in life. At the top is an eerie mask-like face, and the rest of the pole is carved with geometric designs and additional faces hidden throughout. It is both amazing and unsettling at the same time. Initial carbon dating for this was done back in the 90s, and even then, the idol was known to be old. In 2018, though, scientists realized that the first set of test results only tested the surface material, which was probably contaminated by environmental factors of the bog in which it was found. To rectify this, they did a core sample and tested the carbon at the center of the idol. The new results were astounding. Remember the estimated age for Stonehenge? Yeah, double that. And even then, add a few thousand years. Yes, the Shagir idol would have been carved during the last ice age. Based on the location, this idol would have shared its surroundings with mammoths and woolly rhinos. Now estimated to be around 12,100 years old, the Shagir idol is the oldest known wooden statue in existence. That's not the only Paleolithic art to make the news this time. It seems that Israeli scientists have a new theory as to why we find so many paintings deep within caves. Because our ancestors were high as balls. It's a bit more complicated than that, though. Our ancient artists weren't ingesting anything prior to entering the caves. At least, we don't have any evidence for it. Instead, according to scientist Yafet Kadar, they were suffering from hypoxia. Modern cavers use electric lights, but in the past, our ancestors would have had to rely on torches, which consume a good bit of oxygen. Combine that with the poor ventilation of a natural cave system, and you start to feel a little bit loopy. By the time you reach the furthest depths, you start having visual distortions and possibly hallucinations. Without a scientific understanding of why they felt this way, it's no wonder that ancient man saw cave systems as a place to commune with the divine. Imagine this. You're in the pitch black of a deep cave, and your only light source is a flickering bundle of reeds, bark, pitch, and animal fats. That by itself makes the shadows around you jump about. The further you go, you start to notice a tingling sensation. Maybe you're feeling a bit lightheaded. You haven't really felt like this since that time that you accidentally ate rotten fruit. This time, though, you know that you haven't been poisoned. Then you enter a cavern where your predecessors have painted scenes of animals running, hunting, fighting, and dying all over the walls. 
their forms overlap and change as they progress, and the way your head feels, combined with the flickering lights, it seems as if they are alive. It's easy to see how these caves could turn into a primitive, almost magical version of cinema for ancient man. Moving on to another cave, we find evidence that changes the narrative of human habitation on the Emerald Isle. This change happened in Ireland with just a fragment of a reindeer bone. This bone was unearthed in Castle Pook Cave, once known as Mammoth Cave due to the sheer volume of mammoth bones found within, and it shows clear evidence of being struck with a sharp, broad object, most likely a flint axe or hammerstone of some sort. It wasn't until the radiocarbon dating results came back that people really started to get excited. Dr. Ruth Carden, the scientist in charge of examining and recording the mass of excavated bones, said, quote, The radiocarbon dating results came back, and I didn't tell my colleagues for two weeks because I was so shocked. End quote. Prior to Carden's finding, the oldest known evidence for human habitation was from a cave bear bone dated 12,500 years ago. This reindeer bone, it's estimated to be around 33,000 years old. That's more than twice as old as the Shagir idol that I mentioned earlier, and almost eight times the age of Stonehenge. What's even more amazing is that this collection of bones was excavated in the late 1800s, and due to the sheer volume of material, had not been examined until Cardin began working through them for her PhD thesis in 2008. Jumping over to the New World, we have an article sent to me by my friend Dawn. Thanks, Dawn. It's been pretty well established that Columbus did not discover the New World. We know that the Vikings attempted to form a settlement in Lance Meadows around the year 1000. A new discovery on the west coast of North America indicates that there may have been an Asian interaction with the native settlements prior to Columbus even setting foot on a boat. In three different prehistoric Eskimo sites in the Arctic Circle, blue glass trade beads have been uncovered. In the first two sites, no organic material was available for radiocarbon testing. In the third site, the beads were found with a copper bracelet wrapped in twine thought to be made from willow bark. Upon testing, the twine was estimated to have been manufactured between the years 1440 and 1480. Glass beads were not manufactured in the Americas at that time, and these specific beads are known to have been heavily used trade beads during this period. Even more interesting is that the most likely origin for these beads is Venice, Italy. That means that they were manufactured, traded eastward into Asia, made a voyage to the Americas, where they were then traded with the Eskimo before they came to their final resting place in the mid to late 1400s. This doesn't just establish that Asia had contact with the west coast of America. It shows that they had some form of trade taking place. The evidence is minimal so it could be as little as a single instance of contact, but it does still show that contact was in fact made. We're going to end the night with a few very quick articles. Over the past year, 
Two White House aides have reported symptoms consistent with a condition known as Havana syndrome. Symptoms include severe headaches, nausea, and ear popping. Havana syndrome is believed to be the result of an energy weapon that bombards a target's living quarters with high-intensity microwave radiation over a long period of time. It gets its name from initial reports of similar conditions attributed to a U.S. ambassador in Cuba. Recently, there have been multiple attacks of a similar nature targeting U.S. personnel on three different continents. I woke up in the middle of the night, said Catherine Warner, a previous victim of these attacks. I could feel this sound in my head. It was intense pressure on both of my temples. At the same time, I heard this low humming sound, and it was oscillating, and I remember looking around for where this sound was coming from, because it was painful. It is currently suspected that the originator of these attacks is either Russia or China. A Swedish man recently discovered a treasure trove of Bronze Age artifacts quite literally just sitting on the ground. Thomas Carlson was working on some orienteering when he came upon some metal fragments in front of a pair of boulders. Initially, he thought it was a pile of junk, perhaps an old lamp. It all looked so new, he said, replying that even after realizing they were artifacts, he thought that they were fake because of their condition. In total, 50 artifacts were recovered, and they are believed to have belonged to a woman of high status. As to their excavation, it is believed that they were originally under the boulders and were disinterred by animals who were digging a burrow. Finally, a Belgian farmer recently got tired of having to work around a large stone in the middle of his field, so he moved it. What he didn't realize is that the stone was a property marker establishing part of the border between Belgium and France. His action has temporarily made Belgium about 7.5 feet larger and France that much smaller. While authorities are mostly joking about it, they also said, if he shows goodwill and moves it back, he won't have a problem. Otherwise, he could face charges from the Franco-Belgian Border Commission. This concludes another edition of the Esoteric News Briefs. Links to all the articles are provided in the show notes. If you like what you heard, please leave me a review on whatever podcast app you are using. This show is made possible by subscribing patrons just like you. Those who pledge above a certain level, such as Samantha Shaver, are eligible for a shout-out on episodes, as well as access to additional content, voting on future topics, and exclusive articles. If you want to join the ranks of loyal goblins, find me on Patreon at Esoteric Book Club. Even the smallest donation helps pay server costs, purchase materials, and most importantly, it helps fuel me with coffee. Until next time, remember, stay weird. <laughs>